For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Nine minutes past nine. This is Mick Mulcahy, Neil Prendival, returning on Monday morning. Look at the morning papers now, as we normally do at this time. Legends' last trip to tip. Uh, widow bursting with love as Ireland prepares to pay tribute. I saw Shane of the Pogues at the 1991 Fela uh, trip to tip. Uh, Ireland will come to a standstill today in parts as fans say a final farewell to Pogues legend Shane McGowan. Thousands are set to line the streets of Dublin as the cortege travels through the city before heading to Nina County Tipperary for the Stars Funeral Mass. Some of the newspapers have Shane being buried today and uh, the earlier reports uh, had uh, that he wanted to be cremated uh, and have his uh, ashes scattered uh, on the Shannon. Uh, so a little confusion there. I think the cremation is the uh, is the way it's going to go, but there you go. Cork rape predator. Trespasser raped women uh, as uh, she slept in her bedroom. That should read woman, I suppose. A woman aged 22 who was raped by a predator in her bedroom as she slept heavily after drinking with friends believes the rapist used her phone to make a friend request that looked as if he'd conta- she had contacted him after the rape. Kumar Kumar Nepali, aged 24, of Beach Park, Balancholic, County Cork, was found guilty of trespassing at her home with intent to rape her and on charges of raping, sexually assaulting and physically assaulting her, causing harm. The accused is from Nepal and proceedings at the Central Criminal Court sitting in Cork were translated for him by a Hindi interpreter. Check it out on the front page of the Echo. The examiner has 214 and 202 named among Cork's worst performing bus routes. Frustrated passengers often left stranded at bus stops by ghost buses and cancellations. Cork City's worst performing bus routes have been revealed. Despite a published schedule which shows buses should run every 20 minutes, the 214 Cross City service which links Glanmire to the Cork University Hospital via the city's train station is amongst the worst performing routes, running 40%, um, late 40% of the time. Uh, you can check out the other stats if you are a bus user uh, in the examiner today. The Mirror has 80% of workers priced out of the housing market. We mentioned this yesterday, that you'd need something like €137,000 joint income uh, to purchase a uh, pretty normal three-bed new semi-D in Dublin. bit less here, of course, but the challenge is just as great. There are major challenges when it comes to the affordability of housing in Ireland. Housing Minister Dara O'Brien has conceded He made the comments as he was grilled on the doyle about a new report that suggested the combined minimum salary level required to purchase a three-bed semi uh, detached in the greater Dublin area was €127,000. Sorry, I said €137,000. It's €127,000. The corresponding figure in the northwest is €85,000. And the study from the Society of Chartered Surveyors of Ireland indicated the average cost of delivering a new three-bed semi in Ireland ranges from 354 to €461,000 in the greater Dublin area. To the independent and insurers are accused of gouging after premiums rise despite claims falling. Uh, Industry has been criticised for not passing on massive savings. savings. Charlie Weston is the personal finance editor of the Irish Independent and reports that insurers have been accused of taking the public and politicians for a ride after it emerged premium rates have started to creep up again despite a collapse in claims. 
And I think the dash cams and CCTV in general uh, are uh, making would-be uh, errant claimants a little more reticent uh, to try it on if that was their intent. And so claims are coming down, but business people and community groups have rounded on the insurance industry for failing to pass on the massive savings it's making from a significant drop in the value of injury claim payouts made during the year. Let's move to the mail, and the front page of the mail has Donnelly's management of his brief is exceptionally frustrating. Health spending overruns were appalling and presented a material and significant risk to our public finances, the public expenditure minister told his officials a month before the budget. Documents obtained by the Irish Daily Mail revealed Pascal Donoghue issued a scathing assessment of Health Minister Stephen Donnelly's management of his department, which he branded exceptionally frustrating. The memo reveals Mr Donoghue's anger when briefed by his officials on the projected health overspend, with the HSE projecting a cash shortfall of between 1.1 and 1.7 billion euro by the end of this year. That's front of the uh, mail today. There's been a record surge in child respiratory cases. The Irish Times front page Uh, reporting there, health editor Paul Cullen uh, telling that record levels of a common respiratory illness that particularly affects babies is putting children's hospitals under unprecedented pressure. Almost 1,000 cases of respiratory syncytial virus, or SV, uh, were notified to authorities last week and almost 370 patients, most of them children, were hospitalised. That's the front of the Irish Times today. In the Independent, Poison's hotline called over batteries, painkillers and reed diffusers. Common household items, including batteries and reed diffusers, as well as painkillers, were among the poisoning hazards reported last year. The National Poisons Information Centre in Beaumont Hospital said in an annual report on the helpline service, the centre said there were 86 inquiries related to batteries, with 91% concerning ingestion. Um, I, can, I can only assume that's uh, young children, perhaps, um, not yet reached the age, age of reason. Who else would swallow a battery? Batteries can cause toxicity if ingested, while battery acid can affect the skin or eyes. Six in ten of the 10,281 inquiries to the centre involved accidental poisonings, Uh, 22.5% linked to medication errors. Interesting reading on the front of the Independent. To the Irish Daily Star. Turkey and scam on Christmas menu this year, not turkey and ham. Expert guidance has been issued to help potential scam victims to beat the crooks this Christmas. Technology company IT.ie has compiled a dossier of 12 scams of Christmas uh, so consumers can navigate the most likely cons over the festive period. And these include phishing emails and they're warning the public to be a Scrooge uh, in the best sense of the word. You need to be a Scrooge with your data. Your data is valuable. So watch out for bogus websites and URL spoofing. They can often change even the look of the letter A in a different font will make the website look 100% official when in fact it's a different URL because of that different uh, font in the letter. Untraceable payment methods. Such payments offer no fraud protection. And uh, mobile app fraud, delivery notification scams. uh, I get two or three of them every day. Fake charities, donation frauds used by scammers, gift card grifts. Uh, travel scams, very interesting article. Our world, past, present and future. Check it out on page 14 of the Irish Daily Star today. Shops ring up €12 million euro 
between noon and 1pm on December 23rd. And most of the shopping, I would contend, is done by the male fraternity who leave their shopping. Uh, if not till the last few days, then certainly there's a big, big concentration of male shoppers at lunchtime on Christmas Eve. Yep, I know. The ladies are rolling their eyes and saying, my God. Will they ever learn? Christmas spending will peak on the Saturday before the big day. Shoppers spending three times what they would normally spend on groceries. And men will spend twice as much as women on that day, according to the AIB Christmas spend trend. Lunchtime on Saturday, December 23rd. Of course, uh, it's going to be Saturday this year because Christmas Eve is a Sunday. Uh, between 12 and 1pm, more than 12 million will be spent. AIB has looked back on Christmas spending last year to work out when peaks in purchasing are likely to happen. And they can do this because they can uh, have a record of the card transactions. 12 months ago, people from Wicklow spent the most during Christmas, uh, with those from Donegal spending the least. The data shows customers carried out 2.8 million transactions in shops last December 23rd, 84% higher than an average day, making it the busiest day of the year for in-store shopping. And uh, we started with uh, Shane McGowan. We'll uh, finish the uh, newspaper review with that as well. I must be on me way. That is, uh, of course, a line from the beautiful uh, Shane McGowan song called Sally McLennan. Sad to say I must be on me way. So buy me beer and whiskey before I go far away. I'd like to think I'll be returning when I can to the greatest little boozer and to Sally McLennan. Ireland coming to a standstill today. Fans saying one final farewell to Pogues legend Shane McGowan. His wife's heart is bursting, she says, as the funeral will take place today. His heartbroken wife, Victoria Mary Clark, has said her heart is bursting with love with the amount of people who went, uh, who want to come to the late singer's funeral. The Pogues legend died last Thursday at the age of 65 and will be laid to rest today. Some of the uh, McGowan's Hollywood pals are expected to attend, including uh, Captain Jack Sparrow himself, Johnny Depp, and uh, Nick Cave, uh, expected to fly in. Talks of Bono and the Edge being there as well. Sharing a picture of herself with Shane, Victoria said she finds it incredible How many people want to pay their respects at the musician's funeral? She wrote on Instagram tomorrow, uh, she wrote this yesterday, tomorrow's Shane's funeral, which is hard to believe, and probably I won't believe it for a while. Shane hated funerals, and he refused to go to them, with a few rare exceptions. Let's go to a BBC 1997 documentary, where Shane and his parents, Therese and Morris, reflected on life in Carney Commons in County Tipperary, where he spent a lot of his childhood. Houses have always been basically well regarded as home. There was about 12 people living here, like, sleeping three to a bed, like, I usually used to sleep on that, being over there in that couch, which is more comfortable than sleeping in three to a bed. And the radio was next to it as well. Like, when I was a kid, there was no television in here. There was there was no running water. There was uh, electric light and, um, and the hard fire to cook on. There was no cooker. That's fairly really basic. Yeah, it was basic and beautiful, you know. It was the end of, of of an era that I just happened to catch. 
Oh, God, I could, you know. The thing I remember most about the family is the the music. The, 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 every, every weekend and sometimes in the middle of the week, I mean, we had... I suppose you had music, you had dancing, sit dancing in the old kitchen floor, and you had songs. So he absorbed all that wonderful, traditional Irish music and singing and dancing uh, through his pores when he was at a very formative age, you know, and just had a tremendous influence on him, you know, on, on his love of Irish music and on his desire, really, to do something for Irish music as well. We moved around a lot, you know what I mean? And, um... Well, wherever we went, like, you know what I mean? To, Lots of, there was a lot of relatives and stuff like that, and all living in London. And, um, but my parents were really unhappy, right? You know what I mean? I could tell my parents were really unhappy. I was very unsettled for a long time. I never really settled in England, you know. Uh, the English people are great. You know, I love them. And, uh, but the general atmosphere is very puritanical yeah. compared with Ireland. It's, That's it's a strange a thing, a, isn't it, you know? It's a bit uh, mm. paradoxical, really, because yeah. they have all yeah. the right laws, I think, mm. but, uh, mm. you know, the wrong application. You know? I mean, we're the lawless people, aren't we? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, our, that's what yeah. makes us uh, uh, free people, I think, in a way. I didn't have this sort of... Uh, Someone who's brought up in Ireland until they're 20 or something, you know, is always cursing, like, the church and the Christian brothers and, and uh, the small-mindedness and the gossiping and the sadism and the brutality and, and the, all, the, all the bad things you can say about Irish society, you know what I mean? And I think Shane McGowan, as well as being synonymous with uh, the very best in Irish music and will always be uh, remembered for that, will also always be synonymous and always be remembered with Christmas. Born on Christmas Day, wrote the greatest Christmas song ever and died at Christmas time. We say farewell to Shane McGowan, his funeral taking place later today in his, uh, what he would call his native uh, Nina. Now, a quick mention for our competition before we uh, take a quick break and get down to the business of the programme. Michelle, the jeweller, has given us uh, a lot of money to give away this week, 200 a day. We have the final one to give away, a 200 euro voucher between 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock today. They're over 60 years in business in Cork, our Michelle the Jewellers. It's a family-run business, so you're going to get that family personal attention with bespoke jewellery for any occasion and you can check it all out uh, pre your visit to the shop at uh, michellejewellers.ie before you head in for the personal attention because the quality is right, the service is right, they have the expertise and they're there for you. You'll be listening for this uh, between 11 and 12. Please don't call just now. And then we'll play our diamond draw game and give away our final 200 euro voucher between 11 o'clock and 12 for Michelle the Jewellers. The voice of Cork, Neil Prendeville. Weekdays 9 to midday, Cork's Red FM. And Neil is back after 9 o'clock news on Monday morning. Now, it's always good to close the circle to finish something you've started. And with that in mind, we welcome back to the air for the final time this week, Beata. Good morning. 
Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm good. Now, a bit of a hectic day yesterday. We had a plethora of uh, good offers coming in to help you in the housing situation, not least of which was the very kind benefactor who offered you, uh, in, in some state of disrepair, it has to be said, but still exponentially better than the cowshed you were living in, offered you somewhere to live. And at, at our request, you went to visit the premises last night. What was it like and what did you think? It was, um, yeah, it was hard to find to begin with, which is a good thing because I like living um, like somewhere remotely and, and not a lot, a lot of people looking down on top of each other. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, went in. It's, it's a lovely old house. It's his parents, like it's his his birthplace where like this. That's where he grew up on a farmyard. Um, yeah, but the the son was already there. Like his son was already there, and uh, he had lit a fire and walked into a room that was being pieces by a fireplace. And um, yeah. I didn't even really see the, the you know, the, the work that needs to be done. All it needs really is a good cleaning up. Yeah. I, I saw some of the um, pictures last night. I was particularly taken with the uh, the logs burning in the in the fireplace. I'd say that was a good old welcome for you. Oh, it was. It was. And, um, you know, it, it, and it heated the room. Like, he was still stacking up the fire. And it was already heating the room. You could already feel that it was heating up. So it's, it's going to be yeah. good good for your animals, I would imagine, it being on a farm. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And there is a lake next to us. He was saying that you've got your own private lake. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to realise where it is now, yeah. The, it's okay. be, between Killa and Castle Marty, yeah. Um, yes, so uh, yes. lo- location-wise, how long does it take you to drive to work at the moment? At the moment, it could be anything from, an, like, in the morning, because there's hardly any traffic in the morning, because I start at 7. Um, it takes me an hour and 10 to an hour and 20. Okay, and now in the future, it'll take you, what, on the motorway? 40 minutes. <laughs> oh, so you've halved your commute time. You have heat. I see you have running water. You have a proper yeah. bathroom. You're not using a camping toilet anymore. You have electricity, oh. uh, a system of electricity that will take more than just, uh, you know, a little heater or a TV or whatever. It'll it'll take the lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Obviously, you're going to have to get electricity changed in, in, into your name. That All that's going to take a little time. But essentially, you can almost move in straight away. And I would hope uh, that you could certainly move in by Christmas. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, that's the goal, to get the Christmas tree up and um, to send you pictures of the Christmas tree in that house. I'm just thinking, you know, we were fortunate to come across you. You were also fortunate that we did. Uh, but I, I think the, the most fortune that has shone your way has been uh, the kindness of the people of Cork. We've given you a big list of all oh. the offers from people that, uh, that offer their help and offer their items yesterday. And I imagine you'll be working through that, will you? I will be working through that today, yeah, because I, I got home very late last night. Um, a friend of mine and uh, my mother wanted to come and see the house as well. <laughs> so I had to drive my mother home. She doesn't, she can't drive in the dark. Um, so I had to drive her home. By the time I was home, it was too late. I didn't want to be contacting people at like 10 o'clock at night. Um, but I'll be working through that list today and it's very extensive and it's like my mind is blown by the generosity. It's absolutely amazing. Okay. 
we're, we're delighted for you. Where, where do you go from here? I suppose the cleaning comes first before any of the furniture offices are taken up, yeah? Yeah, tomorrow I will be heading there with um, said friend's husband, who is, um, like, he is a builder. He's very handy. <laughs> and um, he'll be looking at the roof. There is, like I said, there's a roof missing on an extension. But on the kitchen part, yeah. The rest of the house, yeah. It doesn't affect the house. Like, the, the kitchen could be in the house. It's, but he'll look at that because all the material is there. And um, we're having a look at that tomorrow, um, what he can do. And I'm going to start cleaning tomorrow. Okay, now our most special request to you yesterday also concerns the most special item uh, considering the generosity of people at Christmas. And we have a competition running this week with the brilliant Finton Reardon Christmas Tree Group Cork Christmas Trees we're giving away. Now these I think you'll like because they're the most environmentally friendly in Cork. Finbar has the, or Finton has the stats to prove it. It's a sustainable and organic approach to Christmas trees. So we'd like to offer you on behalf of Finton Reardon Christmas Trees the chance to pick your own Christmas tree from 2 feet to 30 feet and uh, that will be the special centrepiece of your Christmas and Finton's organisation is part of the Irish Christmas Tree Growers, the Organic Farming Association, the Forestry Association and Carbon Credits Group Ireland. And uh, I'm sure if I strong-armed him I could probably get Jim Hanley and Hanley's Christmas store to give you a set of Christmas lights. Oh, that is great. That is great. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Okay, lest, lest we labour the point, I, I, I think, you know, all good things must come to an end. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. This is my third time this week. It really has been heartwarming uh, to help you out and to see the generosity of the Cork people. Uh, something always happens every year where somebody needs something and the Cork people are always generous to a fault. So uh, enjoy that, bask in it. Bask in the heat of Christmas with a beautiful organic Christmas tree. And all I can do now is wish you a very Merry Christmas, Beata. A very, very Merry Christmas to you too and the people of Cork, a Merry Christmas to all of you too and thank you, thank you, thank you. I cannot thank anyone enough. I really can't. And my mind is blown. Um, I am totally in awe of the generosity and kindness of the people that have been shown. Do, do, you, know the, do you know what this song is? This is the introduction to one of the great, great Christmas songs. You can sing this for yourself this year. You're driving home for Christmas. Not to, not to a cow shed. Beata, thank you very much and Merry Christmas to you. Thank you, Cheers, thank thanks. You. Merry Christmas to you too. Thanks, bye. bye-bye. Now, by text on 0868104106, some of the texts that came in yesterday on the Greyhound issue. You are so right. Our government is wasting our tax money on a cruel and failing industry. Greyhounds have the kindest nature and are taken advantage of. On the puppy farm uh, topic we did yesterday with Barry Roach of the Irish Times. Finally, it's back out in the media. She should be banned for life from ever owning any animal. I hear poor souls every day barking and yelping. Uh, I'm glad that place was closed. I do not support puppy farms. I have two rescue dogs myself, and I don't understand why people keep supporting farms. Also on greyhounds, our government should not be giving money to that barbaric so-called sport. Hi, guys. I bought a puppy from that farm last year, and she was the most beautiful, well-behaved puppy. But the house was freezing, and the pup came in shaking. I was so happy to take her out of there, and thank God all the other dogs and pups were rehomed. Thank you, says Diane. I have four rescues, one of whom is a lurcher who was left to die. She's the most beautiful dog, says Eilish. And we had a text on the uh, Michael Healy Ray uh, interview. Hi, Mick. If Michael Healy Ray didn't take some of the Ukrainians, he'd be called a racist.
racist given his property profile and housing so many Irish people. Also with the Ukrainians going home for Christmas, exclamation mark, could that accommodation be given to our homeless given that it will already be paid for by the government? So says Shelley. 23 minutes to 10. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And now on the Neil Prenderville Show, an out-of-Cork story which will surely resonate with some of our Cork listeners. Good morning, Ian Sullivan. How are you doing? How are you getting on? I'm very good. Now, you were on TV last night on Ear to the Ground, essentially a farming programme on RTE, and it may have surprised some people to find out that uh, cocaine is so widely available now in this country. It's often seen as a, a city drug or an urban drug, uh, but you absolutely confirmed that it is definitely countrywide and as available in rural Ireland as it is anywhere in the country. Yeah, that's that's correct. Um, yeah, I suppose it's kind of been a, a whirlwind forward, if you know what I mean. Uh, the last thing I'd ever expect to be doing was on television and <laughs> talking to yourselves this morning. But yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's freely available in, in any part of Ireland, you know what I mean? It's not just a, a town or a city drug anymore, you know? Yeah, and, and you're speaking, of course, Ian, from personal experience. Happily now, though, you're speaking in retrospect uh, because you've, yeah, been, you've, I, you've I, been through I, the I, mill, you've come through it. Yeah, I was in... I was in a, Twenty years, and I'm thank God I'm, I'm I'm over two years clean and sober today. And uh, you know, it's been a, a whirlwind story, you know, a lot, a lot of downs and a, a lot, a lot of downs. And in the last two years, a lot of ups, you know. Yeah, you were just eighteen when you first started using cocaine. Yeah, about eighteen when I started dabbling. Yeah, you know, like yeah, and I loved it. You know, I, I really loved it. But um, you know, like like any other young lad going out, you working all week and get paid and. And it gradually started from one night to two nights until it eventually took over my life. Yeah, so from one night a week you went to having it maybe twice on the weekend. Uh, yeah, and, and, and like as, as times, but you know, like I won't say I went at it full time, but it took a few years, but I suppose as it progressed over a period of time, you know, I dealt with a few, I did strategies and that kind of stuff, and I more on it and eventually it caught up with me and I was using it one day a week, you know. Yeah, I, I'm losing a lot of the stuff you're saying there, Ian. Could you just move slightly? I think we just have a bad mobile signal. Can you hear, can you hear me now? That's a bit better, yeah. So so something that you did occasionally quickly became an addiction. But of course, the ease of availability is a major factor here. Uh, one of the stark comments you made on the programme last night was, you know, you just put a code word on social media or whatever, and uh, it's dropped to your door in 10 minutes in rural County Offaly. Yeah, five minutes, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's it's very easy, you know. It's it's very it, it just it's it's a click of a message or a quick phone call, and it's freely freely available. And like it's not just coming out of the towns, you know. It, it's been sold in the country as well, you know. Yeah. Okay. And and then it eventually got hold of you, where you went from a, a weekend user to a seven day a week necessity. Yeah, that's right. Seven days a week, you know, and that's that's really when it it, it, it turned my life upside down, you know. And what sort of impact did it have on your family? You you, you said, or it was said in the report, uh, that you've since amicably divorced. But of course, this affected your par- parents and uh, ge- general family life as well. Absolutely, you know, I, I I was a I was a pain. I was a pest. I was I was always in trouble. You know, in trouble with the with the law. You know, as I said in the program, I'm amicably divorced, but I was married. You know, I have three beautiful kids today. You know, and and all those people suffered when I was. When, when I was in my addiction heavy, you know. 
And all of those people, I would imagine, are delighted now that you're in your second year of... Is, is, it, is it sobriety and, uh, as well as being clean from drugs? Oh, yes. I, I don't touch alcohol either, you know, because for me, if I take one, I'll take the other. So it had to be a clean slate, you know. Yeah. And, th- and that takes a lot of bravery. Um, and, and of course, you don't take the first step in that brave journey. And, and of course, these journeys can fail as well. I think you failed once, yes. did you? But you, you don't yeah. take that first step unless you hit rock bottom. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I tried to stop for years, you know, and, and I have to just give a quick mention. You know, I, I was always linked to the the, Le- the Leash Offley Homeless Addiction Services there, Hayes, where the girls and, and Merchants Key Ireland, you know, and, and them people all stuck by me even when I was in the height of my addiction. But I kept linking in with them, you know, and I have a great relationship with them today and they helped me a lot. You know, like when you reach out and look for a bit of help, it is there, you know, and like a lot of people fail the first time. It took me a long, long time to stop, you know, and, I wouldn't change it for the world. Maybe that was my patch, you know, that I had to relapse a good few times to stop. But, you know, I'm here today and I come out the better side of it, you know. And yeah, that's that's your journey, I guess. And, and it's a journey yeah, that, that journey, had to be you know, made, yeah. 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 But you you were much better known in the country this morning than you were yesterday morning now because of the Year to the Ground TV. Do, do you find that uh, making that piece for TV and even coming on radio like this is all part of the stealing your resolve to stay clean? Yeah, well, look, as I said, you know, when, when Ear to the Ground contacted me, that this is completely out of my comfort zone, you know. I was always very kind of, you know, shy and you know, anxiety would be a big thing with me, you know. But as I got through my recovery, I learned to reach out and speak more. And the real reason I did this program on Ear to the Ground was, you know, like, if I can have someone watching it, you know what I mean, I feel I have a good deed done, you know, because, like, I tried for so long to stop. And, you know, it's very hard. It's very hard to get to better with, you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So it, it became it was recreational, but it became a, a very high dependency. The one thing that struck me about the uh, ear, ear to the ground piece is you did seem to have a very understanding boss. He stuck with you when the rumours yeah. were going around until yeah. one of his big customers said that guy's flat out on cocaine, uh, yeah. and, and then you parted ways for a while, I guess. But then he was big enough to take you back. Absolutely, like, and you know, that's Des Conroy from Leash there, you know, a very, very good friend of mine, you know, and, and we have a great relationship today, and he, he stuck by me through thick and thin, you know, and he, he gave me that second chance, and we, we, we have a great relationship today, you know, and, and I wouldn't change that for the world, like, and, and as I said, like, through my addiction there, like, I caused a lot of problems, and, you know, I upset a lot of people and did a lot of wrong things, but... I did find in my recovery, like, as I approached every one of them people individually and, and said I was sorry, you know, and look, I said, this was me addiction, it wasn't me. Like, not one person told me to, to, to go away, you know what I mean, or didn't want to know me around. People are very, were very, very understanding, you know. Yeah, and, and they're all in your corner when it comes to long, the, the longevity uh, of your cleanliness and, you know, the success of your recovery. Do you think this is a harder time of year? You've, you, you know, you were addicted to cocaine for quite a long time. Is it 13 years? Um, is, yeah. is it harder to stay away from it uh, around the Christmas and socialising times? Uh, well, for for me personally, when I was at the height of it, you know, it didn't matter whether it was Christmas or the summer because I was doing it every day anyway, you know, and I suppose my mental state wasn't great at that time because, you know, I was doing it seven days a week and, and the paranoia set in on me and I didn't want to be seen so I would have spent all my time alone in the house, you know, but it um it can be hard at Christmas, you know, and I see even I see a huge change in, in my own part of the country, like where you know it's, it's it's sad to say it's nearly acceptable now in pubs and clubs, you know, and young people with it, you know, and it's it's sad like because I have a lot of good friends myself in trouble, and you know it's it's, it's not easy, but 
you can only look after yourself in this game, you know, and, and you can give all the advice you want, but you have to you have to look after number one that's with yourself, you know. Do you, do you find it easy to socialise now? Do you go into pubs even though you're not well, drinking? I'll be honest with you, I, I, I don't, you know, unless there's a family occasion or a birthday party or something. I'll go in and I'll have a seven up or a coke and I'll chat the lads or whatever, but I don't stay, you know. A pub is not the place for me because I've seen I've done too much destruction in pubs, you know, and, and I've seen what it did to me, and I just I'm not willing to risk my sobriety for anyone or anything, you know, because it's it, uh, you know it's took me a long, long time to get to where I am today, and, and to risk that over a pub or that is just an unrunner for me, you know. Okay, how much of your recovery is overcoming the shame and embarrassment? Is it a, an important factor in in the building blocks of recovery? I just missed the start of that, sorry. How much of your recovery is down to overcoming that shame and, you know, the embarrassment? Yeah, like, you, you, you have to you have to just strip it back, like, and, and, under, like and, and understand, like, you know, when you're in addiction, it's not you it's not you personally, you know, it's your addiction that takes the control of you. You will do anything to get that, that next fix of drink or drugs or whatever it may be, you know, and, you know, I had a lot of a lot of shame and guilt around stuff that I did and that, you know, but I, I had to do a lot of work around it and, and, and talk to people and try and come out the better side of it. And, and as I said, I, I'm lucky with the circle of people I have around me because I got huge help and support. Yeah. How, how big would you think the, the network of drug dealing is in this country? If it's available in every little nook and cranny in the country, it must be awash with dealers as well. Yeah, look, as I said, you know, it's 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 freely available. You know, it's not it's more common to get drugs now than it is alcohol. I even see young people like you know, like they need ID to get alcohol, but they can freely get cocaine. You know what I mean? I'm here up in used been sold in schools and everything. And it's just it's sad to see how how accessible it is. You know. Well, that's that's one of the travesties, really, in that you must be eighteen to have an alcoholic drink, but you can probably get access to cocaine at fifteen or sixteen. Oh, no, no, no problem at all. You know that that's not an issue. Yeah. All right. Um, w- another thing. Um, sorry for harping back to the the TV no, piece, I, but you you stooped so low as to even sell some of your father's cattle. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 how low it got. You know, because when when you were an uh, when you were an addict and active addiction, you know, you, you will do anything to get your next drug. And I saw cattle. You know. And, that was something I'm not very proud of, but I, I, I was able to man up and when I got clean and recovery and we talked about, you know, and, and we have a great relationship today with my parents, you know, and they, yeah. they, they, they really trust me today and, and, you know, I'm making it back to them all day, daily, it's a daily reprieve with them, but it's, um, you know, it, it's everything is good in my life at the moment, you know, and, and it's not, you have ups and downs, you know, but I just don't have to use drink or drugs to start problems anymore. Yeah, you don't have the huge swings of up and down. I, I think it was the late great Robin Williams uh, the fabulous actor and comedian who said about cocaine, it's God's way of saying you're making too much money. Uh, and I think that was in reference to a more flashy, casual um, weekend use, you know, by the well-heeled in, in the cities. Um, but you weren't making any money. You were selling your dad's cattle to feed the habit. Yeah, yeah, that's it. You know, it doesn't come down to money really at all. You know, there's no, it's not an issue to get drugs, you know, and you don't need money to get drugs, but you do need money to pay for it eventually. But, you know, it's, it's easy, accessible on credit or take whatever way you want to say it. And, and uh, yeah, it's not, I, I wouldn't regard it as a, as a, really high class uh, class drug anymore everybody uses cocaine and I don't say that fucking lightly but sorry but, but no, you're okay is, is, that that begs this question is that almost as big a grip then or is it, a, is it a more dangerous hole or burrow to be going down whatever about paying for it whatever about being addicted to it going on take for it with these characters must be very dangerous it is dangerous, yeah, you know, and I've heard and seen of bad things happen, and lucky enough it didn't happen to me, but, you know, that's just how, how, how greedy it is, how greedy it is out there, you know, people will just freely give it to you, you know, because 
they're going to come after you for money eventually. What replaced the addiction for you, Ian? Uh, some people take up golf or reading or work yeah, or walking. Me, or... You know, for, for, for me, I'd go with the gym working and, and, and the swimming pool and that and, uh, you know, helping out at home on the farm with the family and all that kind of stuff. And as I said, I've, tr- I've three beautiful kids who I spend a lot of more time with than I used to, you know, and dropping school runs and that kind of stuff, you know. My hands are full. I'm not, I'm not yeah. idle, you know. Yeah, your your hands are full, but your heart seems full as well now. It is. And I, look, I mean, I'm in a great place and, I, and I'm so grateful like to a lot of people. And of course, Asheree, the treatment centre, was in a care. You know, they, they, they give me huge help as well, you know. And I, I'll always be grateful to them people, you know, because they seem to get my lowest. Yeah, just to finish up, there, there was another comment made uh, about uh, cocaine. I'm not sure if it's Robin Williams or not, um, um, but may, maybe you could comment on this. Uh, the the, the, uh, the statement was, uh, cocaine instantly makes you feel like a better man or woman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the first thing a better man wants is more cocaine. Yeah, and as I said, when I got my first, when I used to take my first line of cocaine, I felt brilliant, you know. I felt top of the world. I could speak to anyone. I was in control, but that flipped for me because over a period of time, I went from loving it to hating it. I used to hate taking cocaine, but I couldn't stop. And, you know, my, my mental side was really affected in the wind from it, and, and I used to hate it. And I just remember taking cocaine and knowing what it was going to do to me, and I couldn't stop. And that was the lowest point, you know. Yeah. Life is good now, second year in recovery, and uh, life is much, much better. I mean, I'm heading into my third year of recovery, so yeah, life, life is life is very good, you know. And, and as I said, it's one day at a time. You just take it one day at a time with this gig. And um, but look, it's it, it's working for me. And and you know, as I said before, the people out there listening, and you know, it, 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 this can all be helped and sorted out. You know, it doesn't have to be yeah. at the bottom of the bag. You know, Ian, we, we have uh, a fictional character, but it's a, a very well-spoken Cork millionaire called Reggie, Reggie from Blackrock. And he had a very, very funny comment when that uh, drug ship, the Matthew, came in with 150 million worth of cocaine or whatever, uh, whatever it had. He said he was getting slagging from his um, millionaire friends in Dublin about, uh, you know, the uh, the big Cork Christmas party that would be had and the whole thing. Now, it's, I don't want to make light of uh, what's a very serious situation, but uh, sometimes you have to smile. And he said, cocaine, he said, that makes you super talkative and overconfident. What would anyone in Cork need that for? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ian, it's 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 been great to talk to you, and um, the best of luck and the best wishes go your way um, for you know your new life. Uh, yeah, you, you're not plumbing the depths anymore. You're, it, it, there's a standard now to your day, I imagine, a level uh, that yeah. that you don't want to sway from. Um, fi- final question: How hard was it to stop once you hit rock bottom? It was very tough, but I knew, I knew, I knew it was the end for me. I just, I just couldn't carry on with the way of life I was living, you know. And, and I just came to the point that that, that 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 was it for me. I knew it, you know. And, and I could not wait to get back in the gates of Ashery the treatment centre. And, and I did my period of time in, and I didn't even want to leave it. I would have stayed there for another six months, you know. And uh, since then, life has been really good, you know. Ian, thank you very much for coming on. I'm sure you've you've thank helped you. uh, you've, you've helped a good few people with uh, your your honesty and openness. And I imagine uh, that last night's ear to the ground and that wonderful interview you gave uh, would be available on the RTE player. Ian O'Sullivan or Ian Sullivan, I beg your pardon. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thank, thanks very much. Bye bye. That's Ian Sullivan. Uh, ear to the ground on RTE last night. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. Oh eight one eight one zero four one zero six. Corks Red FM. And don't forget that between 11 o'clock and 12, we'll have our Michelle the Jewelers competition. You'll be listening out for our cue to call, which is this. Please don't call now. This is just what you're listening for.
Michelle, the jeweller is over 60 years in business in Cork, a family-run business with bespoke jewellery for any occasion. And you can check it out, out on michellejewellers.ie. A 200-euro voucher, our final one of the week, to give away between 11 o'clock and 12 today. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Nine and a half minutes past ten, and good morning to Diren. Hi, Diren. Hi, Mick. How are you? I'm good. Now, I did a programme uh, for Neil probably about a year ago, and I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm often educated by some of the people that come on. In fact, more often than not. But I have never done a programme where I was more educated by the contributors to the programme uh, than I was educated when uh, we did a menopause programme. I learned so much we had a 26-year-old on who had had a hysterectomy. We had other people on who contended, uh, or claimed at least, that there would be and is a link between the lack of HRT, hormone replacement therapy, and dementia in, in later years. It was the most enlightening and engaging programme. Uh, and, and the time just flew by. Uh, tell us your own particular story. Well, a big shout-out to the Menopause Hub because... In, I, I did a self-referral in August. Um, I'm only 44. I'm turning 45 on my next birthday. But I actually got diagnosed with stage 4 endometriosis in 2005 when I was only 26. So similar to Jess. Explain en- endometriosis to us, please. So endometriosis is a chronic systemic inflammatory disorder. It's a disease. It's cells that transfer throughout the body. Um so it spreads very similar to cancer. Um, it's not fully researched or funded, but the research and funding is starting to, to come into um, into different organisations throughout the world. But unfortunately, Ireland is one of the countries that um, we've been in a framework that's outdated for more than 40 years. So um, when I got diagnosed Back then, I knew absolutely nothing about the condition. Um, I knew it affected, um, it can affect your fertility because we're female, we have reproductive organs. The cells tend to, you know, attach to all organs, including the bladder, the lungs, the diaphragm, the brain, the bowel, everywhere. So when I got diagnosed, it was after many, many years of, of severe symptoms um, and I was very blessed. I was uh, had my son at the age of twenty three, um, but after, but throughout the pregnancy and after the pregnancy, my whole entire system, immune system, everything just crashed. Crashed. I had no idea what was going on with me. Um, it took another three years for me to actually be diagnosed with stage four endometriosis. I thought a diagnosis, you know, was fantastic. I'd be able to go into the hospital or the doctor and say, well, I have endometriosis and assumed that they knew what that was. It took a long, long time for me to realise that the framework was outdated, that many medics weren't even trained in endometriosis. They didn't know what it was. And um, what happens is because it affects your fertility, your ovaries, it has a knock-on effect then with uh, premature um, menopause, surgical menopause, chemical menopause, so many different types of menopause um, that I was actually going through all of that, not even knowing what my body was, what was happening to my body. Mm-hmm. And you suffered from low levels of oestrogen in your 20s. Was that a contributory factor? 
Yeah, so this is something that I'm actually only learning in recent times and backtracking and it's making sense now to all the different stages of, of my health condition. Um, but yeah, it, it, it can affect, because I would have had very serious disease on the ovaries, it was impacting the oestrogen, um, the natural oestrogen. So I had insufficiency uh, very early, didn't know, like didn't know, wasn't told. Um, so obviously the symptoms of menopause I was going through from like my mid-twenties onwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in relation to employers recognising that there may be an effect on uh, the female workforce, is there any concrete policy in place uh, for, you know, menopause in the workplace policy, I mean, uh, as there would be, you know, maternity leave and, and that kind of thing? Um, up until um, up until recently, I don't think there was any at all. Um, I am self-employed since 2011 and before that I worked in the family business. So at least there was a bit of understanding there and especially being self-employed, you know, I, I, I could choose when I, you know, when I, I could work or how how physical I could work um, but no and I wouldn't be I wouldn't be experienced enough to even discuss or, or comment on the, the framework for employers but I do know that it's it's been discussed and only because I attended the menopause summit in Cork um, a couple of months ago Okay if, if you could turn the clock back and wish for the perfect menopause you'd probably wish for no menopause uh, but if you could wish for the perfect menopause what would that look like for you? Well menopause is natural so we need to start understanding and, and accepting and and ridding the shame around even the conversation of it but I suppose because you know there's treatment available and access to treatment is getting a lot easier it's not something to be feared of it's just the understanding around it and knowing that if you're you know if you're being met with a doctor or medical professional Mm. that you don't have to you know experience the gaslighting and the minimizing that that I experienced up until I attended you know the menopause hub you know these comments saying oh you're too young to be experiencing a menopause or you're too young to be experiencing those symptoms like you know your body so your body is telling you all the time what's going on and if you can communicate that and then you're being dismissed, that's the area where I would love, you know, for the younger generation especially, that they don't have fear around the conversation. If they're experiencing something and they go to a medical professional, that they're listened to and they're believed and access to treatment isn't going to be an issue at that point. Do you because know? because this, this is something that, that has affected, will affect or is affecting about 50% of the population. Um, peri and uh, early menopausal, surgical menopausal women um, and, and a big survey was carried out uh, amongst 3,044 3, respondents and these are stark figures. 61% of those with a significant other said their relationship with their significant other, wife, husband, partner Uh, was negatively impacted. 74% of those with a sexual relationship said their sex life was negatively affected. This is a huge issue. Yeah, huge. And it needs to be understood. And the conversation needs to be openly spoken about within, you know, your household, within your social circles. And, you know, like, I'm very blessed. I have a 21-year-old turning 22 in a few months, and he knows what's going on with his mum but it has impacted 
my romantic relationships. It has impacted my um, social circles. It has impacted my relationships with with friends, with family, because your experience and symptoms that you actually cannot control. It's not that you're, you know, you get up in the morning, you're going to be incredibly irritable for the day or you're going to be fatigued or low libido. You have no control over that if you are not being treated. So it's so important to have open communication. Otherwise, you know, miscommunication, as they say, is 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 the, the mm. foundation of any any relationship breaking down. And are, are you saying that uh, as much as you might be able to expect from you know from historic situations, uh, the way you'll feel or act or you know what what will hit you with premenstrual tension? You've no idea what what's going to happen to you on a day to day basis during menopause. Absolutely no idea. And estrogen is the female hormone. It's the it's the hormone that. M- allows our body to function. So if we have low estrogen at any stage of our lives outside of what the framework says, 45 to 51, I had low estrogen in my 20s. I didn't know why I was crying over um, the puppy on the TV. Do you know, I I would just start crying over anything. And then that would have a huge impact on the, the relationships around me because I was being di- like diagnosed by people who weren't professional saying she's got mental health issues or she she must be depressed or this or that and that can add to your stress because you're saying well I'm not like I haven't been medically diagnosed with a mental illness but I don't know why I'm so emotional or I don't know why I'm irritable today yeah but women I, I think are much more open to talking about conditions like this with other women than perhaps men would be to other men so, so some of the other key stats from this survey I'll get to in a second but did you find any of your colleagues, friends, peers that you could talk to who maybe were, were you know, undergoing the same challenges? Absolutely not. No. no. And they say women talk about things. We actually, for a long time, didn't talk about. Um, we didn't talk about sex. We didn't talk about libido. We didn't talk about lots of women's health issues. Um, that's what I found. Um, it's only in the last uh, few years with my very close friends that I can talk about these things but up until then I you know I was it was nearly like I was draining someone if I brought it up in conversation because it wasn't a positive um, topic of of conversation But it's also indicative of the support you needed. Yeah yeah, absolutely and unfortunately I didn't have the support for a long time because I was misunderstood but I'm also um, accepting of that because the information wasn't available as easily and you know we were kind of told not to google dr google but where else were we going to get our information if there was no awareness campaign out there there was no you know leaflet inside the doctor explaining that if you're outside the framework you may be experiencing these symptoms yeah in the framework uh in in the menopausal respondents uh, uh there was a wide and varied age group i think from 25 upwards but the figures make for some alarming reading. 68.4% of women felt they were not adequately prepared for the impact of menopause and perimenopause. 80% uh, wanted their employers, as I mentioned, to introduce uh, a menopause in the workplace policy. And almost all, 96.7%, said they were experiencing symptoms of one form or another. Almost yeah. 100%. Yeah which is scary it's so alarming and symptoms can be you know like I had severe pressure in my head so 
I couldn't even explain it as a migraine. It wasn't like a migraine. It was pressure in my head that I would have to lie down and go to sleep. And, you know, I'm the primary income provider. Thankfully, my son is older now, so it's getting easier financially. However, I was the primary income, you know, support at home. I was um, co-parenting, but we weren't together. So I had to do all the day-to-day routine of going to work, but also parenting um, a child. And when you have symptoms, you have to fight through those symptoms. Everything has to get done before you can manage your health because that's just the way it is. It's like you're fighting the world on your own. 100%, yeah. And then wondering, why me? Do you know, why is this happening to me? What, what what are your key takeaways, if you like, from your past experience? Or, or is there any advice you could give to, to women who are listening here today? Uh, what what to what watch out for? What to do? What not to do? Well, firstly, believe yourself, and our intuition is you know that's 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 the core of our body. So if you're feeling off and you feel that you're you know being gaslit or dismissed or not listen, take a step back. Even remove yourself from, you know, any circles that you don't feel that you're being supported in and start doing a lot of self-care. So for me, it was a lot of self-care. Like I had my own house, so I was able to shut the door on the world and focus on me and my son and be able to, you know, have the early night or have the bath or chill out. Or re- Now, I did a lot of changing uh, my lifestyle, changing my diet, um, making sure that I was just looking after me the best I could under the circumstances. And I think it's very important to be able to have the courage to actually do that. Say no. Say no to the, the night out with the girls if you're not feeling well. Say no to the extra hours you're being offered at work because, you know, they're short-staffed. If your body cannot function, you're not going to be able to function, but you can be replaced. So you need to you need to look after yourself. Mm. And once you look after yourself, everything else will fall. Sure. And of course, your, your loyalty to your workplace and your workmates and your bosses, etc., will lead your brain to, to lead your body into something your body can't handle you know, because you're probably burned out and need to lie down. Uh, where, where are you at the moment with, with everything? Is it a historic thing now? Are you looking back in retrospect or, or are you still uh, suffering some of the symptoms? So when I attended, I did a self-referral to the, the menopause hub in August because they, with the framework as well, blood tests is what we're being offered. But like a blood test can't actually define if you have menopause or not. So what I, um, so, and brain fog is desperate. So I'm, I, I've lost my trail of thought there. So when I went to the menopause hub and, you know, was validated, the last four months on HRT and it has to be monitored uh, strictly because of endometriosis Um, so I have fantastic support I just feel like I've been able to put a bubble around myself the last few months and notice what symptoms have disappeared my my functioning has improved so much like earlier in the year and even last year I actually felt like my body was dying. I could not function. I was sleeping until, you know, midday, one o'clock, going back for a nap. That I have energy now. I'm awake at seven in the morning. I'm up. I'm 
active. My brain is functioning a lot better, do you know? Uh, is this down to correctly administered uh, HRT? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. So what advice would you give? You found the menopause hub uh, very, very helpful. How do uh, any women who want to contact the menopause hub get in touch? So it's self-referral. You can actually contact them directly through their website or phone them. Um, you fill out um, a form and they facilitate a consultation. You go and you have a, a really lovely chat with the doctor and they give you lots and lots of time and their follow-up is incredible. And if you need you know, to phone them about anything or email them, it's just done so quickly. You're not waiting days and weeks and months for a reply. For a reply. It's done that day. All right. And age group, would it be from 25 up, from 35 up, from 45 any, up? Any age group, any age group, as long as you're you're fitting the criteria, you know. And if you're feeling what? If you're feeling lethargic, if, if there's, you don't feel your body's 100%, is, is it worth contacting the menopause hub? Absolutely. And one thing I want to mention is mental health. If you feel your mental health is declining, it's very possible that that is linked to your estrogen levels. So before running to the therapist, I would actually contact the medics inside the menopause hub and see are you know, like they give you a list. It's a, it's a frame, it's a national for our worldwide framework about menopause and there's loads of symptoms on it and you mm. find that you're actually ticking the symptoms that are that you're living with that day or all the time. So if you think you're clinically depressed, maybe not go to treat that directly, but go and find out if there are symptoms that are causing it and, tr- and treat them. Absolutely, because, yeah. you know, we're very lucky in 2023 that we're not locked up as easily as the generations before us. Like women were afraid to speak that they had these symptoms because they were going to be locked up and they were diagnosed with hysteria, you know. And it's 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 just amazing how far forward we've come and that we can have these conversations now that, you know, our parents' generation couldn't have those conversations. But we can have those conversations. So we're going to break that stigma and we're going to empower the younger generation that they can speak out if they're not feeling well and get the support. Thanks, Diren. Very, very well said. And we thank you for coming on this morning because I think it'll resonate with a lot of women who are listening this morning. And the Menopause Hub uh, is available to, to contact online and you can uh, engage with them directly. And uh, if you are feeling a little off or something's not right, it may be the best uh, interaction you'll ever make because uh, it could be explaining a lot of other things that's going on in your body. Will that be right? Absolutely. And they've just opened a clinic in Cork. So I'm in Tralee. So it's very close for me now to travel. Whereas I travelled up to Dublin because I wanted an in-person consultation. So now I only have to travel from Tralee to Ballancolic, which is sure no distance at all. Yeah, especially with the new bypass. Now in McCroom and the whole thing. Absolutely. Diren, thank you very much for being so eloquent and for being so open and honest about the situation. Uh, and, And life is better now, is it? Life is so much better and I created a community. Um, it's called Knasu. It's It means healing in the Irish language. And I'm actually running a women's health retreat in March in Trilly. And we're going to have open discussion about women's health. And I want men to attend as well because it's so important that the men in our lives support the symptoms that we're going through so that they don't take it personally and they know how to help. Okay. And how do people get in touch with Knasu, is it? 
Canasu, yeah, C-N-E-A-S-U, or else the Gluten-Free Kitchen Company. You can find me even by Googling Darren Barrett and, and we'll just keep this conversation going. Happy to subscribe to that. Darren Barrett, thank you very much for coming on the programme this morning. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. 26 minutes to 11. Good morning, Jim Ahern. How are you, boys? I'm very good. Now, I'm referring to an email you sent in, which is quite detailed, and we'll get to it. But uh, you start off with, every time we see a new party emerging, all we hear about is the problems that are happening in Irish politics and Irish society in general. It reminds me of every other uh, per-election waffle that I've heard over the last 50 years. The opposition blaming the government in power for all the problems and never coming up with solutions. And then you offer your solutions. I'll pricey them very quickly and then we can discuss them. You want to leave the EU, you want to deal with the refugee crisis, start direct trade with governments. Uh, if uh, you're not the main government and you're the opposition, you should get 40% less in wages. Any pensions due to ex-government politicians should be means-tested. And you deal with the UK on trade, the removal of the Dublin Airport Authority, all pension funds guaranteed by the government. You could add to this list, you say, uh, but we should ask the people of Cork and Ireland how they would make changes to get our country back. Starting to sound a little like Dominic Cummings there, Jim. Well, I, I know I'm just, just an ordinary working man in the country who has been ridden by the government since I was since I was 14 and nothing has changed. But I mean, I think you should ask the people of Cork what changes they, they need to bring bring forward and what needs to be done because no sitting politician or no, no one that you've had on so far has come up with any changes um, to, to how, how we make this better, you know, even on the refugee problem I, I would certainly have a three week turnaround on any refugee that came in here that would, that shouldn't be here and I'd be sending them back to their homeland, you know Yeah, um, the, the, the Irish are a big and welcoming a big hearted and welcoming nation That you know, it's no fault that we're at bursting yeah, point at, 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 at this stage but I, can I ask you a question would, 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 would you think that any Irish citizen, be they even of the, you know, the right wing tendencies do you think any of them would refuse Gazan refugees in what's becoming humanity's darkest hour? It's not that we don't welcome refugees, it's that some of them are taking advantage of the system. That's the, this is the problem. I mean, we'll have to redefine the word refugee because that, like, I remember going back 30 years ago if a refugee came in here, you knew they were a refugee and they were running for reasons. No, it's for monetary reasons. And most of the refugees we get here, as we know, it won't work for 20 years or the rest of their life. This is not a refugee status. And some of them are coming for countries are just poor countries. So we need to invest in those countries. We can't just say we're sending it back to your country and not invest in it. Africa being, being you look at the African countries for years, Europe as a, as a as a unit ignored Africa and all their wealth and we, we just kept sending them money yeah, keep them quiet they'd be fine we need to invest in Africa and each country needs to do it and, you know and we need to we need to take control back of our own country as well I mean the, the government are nothing but anti-Irish I mean they're totally anti-Irish I mean you get slapped in the hands if you think of an idea they, you know pension funds won't work they're coming out forcing everyone to take out a pension fund we know it won't be there when you get to pension age it has never been there. It has failed time and time again. And the only pension that won't be allowed to join the new pension fund is the civil servants. And so why is that? You know well why it is, because it, and the rest of us, our money won't be there, and the civil service pension is guaranteed. Yeah, I well, just want to make it equal for everybody else. Sure. One of the more contentious, I would imagine, parts of your email is that you're suggesting leaving the EU and going back under Britain with the Commonwealth. I didn't say going back under Britain. Joining the Commonwealth doesn't mean you're under Britain. It means it's like joining a club. 
Like, this is our closest neighbour. This is our biggest trading partner. And we were, anyone that knows at the moment, especially for Christmas, if they're getting anything in from Britain at the moment, we're being destroyed with VAT and overcharged. So it's not suiting us not to be part of Britain. Now, if Britain gets it right with the refugee problem, and they are getting it right with trade, they're doing some fantastic trade. Um, you know, Humphreys or someone like that over there is doing some fantastic trades with other countries in the world. If we were a part of that, I think we'd be better off. Now, yeah. allowing Dublin to control the rest of Ireland isn't working. And that's what we have at the moment. I, I would contend that uh, Brexit has been an absolute unmitigated disaster. They're not getting the trade deals that they were promised. They're not becoming a little Hong Kong, uh, where, you know, where, where they can do these trade deals all over the world. The, the best trade deal they've done with is, uh, is with Australia, which is halfway around the world. Uh, they, they, they've lost international standing. Um, Bloomberg found that Brexit is costing the UK economy 100 billion a year. I've not met one UK citizen that has had a single iota of a benefit uh, from Brexit. And 72% of uh, UK citizens said they would vote to return to Europe if they were given the chance. Well, you can counterbalance all that by reading different documentation on the internet or on news. I mean, they've done it, no, here we are. They've done a deal with Canada. They've done a deal with New Zealand. They've done a deal with South Africa. And I think they're talking to the Brits. The British crowds and doing a deal with them. Yeah, but, so you haven't mentioned that, but, so they but, are no, doing deals. But Canada, South Africa, and New Zealand aren't twenty miles across the channel like their biggest market was. But so where do you think half your fruit comes from? Where do you think your bananas come from? Bloody oh, I know. Cove, is it? <laughs> so no, come on. There's bananas. There's bananas in every country in Africa, and we don't buy them. Don't they come from Ringeskiddy? <laughs> they do. Yeah, only only once a week. But uh, but you know, look. I think we're not seeing the full trade agreements here, and we have a. We have still got a lot of people in Britain that want to go back into EU for other reasons, the same as all politicians want to stay there as well. Remember, we, vote, we voted in the Lisbon Treaty to leave, and we got it wrong three times. You know? and, and then we got it right, um, because we were told to vote again. We, we were told that we got it wrong. So, yeah, it's just like bad parenting, you know. Look, I mean, you know, as it comes to it, look, I mean, if the government can't get it right, they had, every, all, all those guys got to go. I mean, Cork, Cork could become a republic on its own. And we could do it on our own. We don't need the rest of Ireland to come with us. There's no problem shutting down the borders in Cork and becoming an independent republic down here. The People's Republic of Cork. You'd means test ex-government politicians' pensions, would you? I would. I would, and I'd make sure that they're nothing illegal before they left. Or, okay. or, or they're nothing illegal while they were in power. Just to sort them. I mean, they all leave with millions of pounds better off than what they were going in. As, as much as they, they put a cap on bankers' pay, as they did in the UK, uh, I, I think, and I, I, I'm open to correction here, uh, that you can stack up pension after pension after pension as a politician. That should be capped. Uh, is it, isn't one pension enough? But they want the rest of the country to get their pension at 70 years of age, and they want to take it at 40 if they're entitled to it. And then they'll tell you that they're civil servants and they're entitled to the increases because they're civil servants. And yet they're, yet they're self-employed when they get elected. They were never listed in sovereign when they went for election. They were yeah. self-employed. Point six in your email. A new deal with the UK on trade and a commitment on travel between our two countries. A deal with the people of the north of Ireland that would allow them to create their own country. Uh, we still do healthy trade with, with the UK. Maybe a little more paperwork. We have, an, we have, open, we have open travel between our two countries already. That's, that's still existing. Uh, well, we, and and I'm not sure much. the people of Northern Ireland will vote to make their own country. Ultimately, they'll vote on whether to join this country. Uh, and that vote is probably going to be in the next 10 years. Well, the, 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 if you're talking about the majority vote in Northern Ireland, 
where, where, where there'll be more Catholics and Protestants, that's going to be in 2025. Now, we all knew that was happening. I knew that was happening 20 years ago, and so did every other politician. But that doesn't mean that you're going to have peace in Northern Ireland. Remember, the, the other half of it is still Protestant. Now, no one is going to be able to sort that area out up there. They should have their own country and get on with it. It's a complete mess. It has been a mess for the last nearly 100 years. Give okay. it to them. Point, n- point, point number seven in your email makes a little bit more sense to me than the rest of it. No offence. The removal of the DA, the Dublin Airport Authority, and allowing the other airports in Ireland to develop more. This will create jobs and allow some relief for the residents of Dublin who were swamped and have lost their beautiful city. I think that's, that, that should happen overnight. That could happen tomorrow morning. Would we not and be better developing Western Aerodrome as, uh, as South Dublin International? No, you see, first of all, you have too many flights going into Dublin. Secondly, most of the people that go on holidays have to go through Dublin for the holidays. That doesn't make a bit of sense. Bus loads of people being cocked, being come, leaving Cork every day, heading to Dublin Airport. You tell me what the sense in that is. Yeah, the, the, when they could be flying out of Cork. I, I've used the buses. They're they're a much better way than uh, than driving, taking the tolls, and paying parking. Uh, and they they operate an on the minute, to the minute service. So it's a fantastic service, but it's a service that shouldn't exist. Okay. Let's look at point number eight. All pension funds guaranteed by the government if they're invested in government projects such as roads, airports, um, solar sites and so on. That makes a bit of sense. I think it should be automatic. If the government are going to force people to take pension funds or to take out a pension in their job and they want to see it secured and safe, it should only be invested within the country and it should be invested in long-term projects like solar. We all know solar is going to make a lot of money for the country. It's the new oil. Why haven't the government taken the Irish pension funds that are so bullying about getting us all taken and making it safe for us? There you go. Why not? Okay, that's a, that's a fair question. Uh, so... In a nutshell, what would you do if you if you became Taoiseach in the morning? Taoiseach of, of Ireland or Cork. My choice is <laughs> I suppose. If I was Taoiseach, at this stage, the government would have changed completely and you'd have a, a lot of guys that are thinking straight. And I'm on about people that have worked hard in their lives. People that got educated good but have good policies. And then you'd work for the Irish people. I'd certainly have immigration. You need immigration coming in. But you don't need migrants that are going to be sucking off the system for the next 30 years. That needs to be sorted out. And our government can't even sort that out right now. That's a simple thing to get right. Very simple. You're either a refugee or you're not, and you're out. Okay. I mean, we don't have to be bantering to the Immigration Council of Ireland to say that every person that comes in deserves to stay here. They don't. So get rid of their funding as well. Okay. them fund their own decisions. To to finish where we started, going back into the Commonwealth, uh, you you said not under Britain, but you'd still be a wouldn't you still have uh, King Charles as the head of your Commonwealth? But you would, and he'd never change. But there's countries around the world that want to, are trying to get into the Commonwealth. I know there's a lot of pluses as well. On top of everything else, thing, someone said lately, if we join the Commonwealth, we might have more gold medals in the country. But uh, look, there's a lot of there's a lot of bonus to it. It's not as if we're not dealing with Britain. It's not as if we haven't got a lot of British people here. The war's been over a long time. I don't even know why people get the headache about it anymore. It's a horrible past. Something we should have learned for, and I don't even why, why we can't carry on with it. A peace is very tenuous at the moment. A peace is very tenuous because of Brexit at the moment, and that the, the, the soft border, hard border issues, uh, they haven't gone away. Well, there'd be no hard border, soft border if we left the, the EU, joined back up to the join back up to the, this Commonwealth, left the Northern Ireland guys above, have their own country, live in Newtown, and I think they get along better because. Who, like, I'd certainly love the six counties, you know, but I don't want anybody that's living there and there with it. 
you know. Yeah, but it's, it's, I mean, it's they, not they like it's not like Man United uh, deciding themselves we're going to we're going to drop out of the Premier League and play in the second division. They might have to do it. They'll go on. They might still do it again. Jim, you're thinking anyway. Thanks a million. <laughs> go, go, go and have an old straw poll. Leon, see what people think. <laughs> okay, why don't we do a bit, of, a bit of a poll? You can text in your, your answer. Uh, sh- should we leave the EU and go back under Britain with the Commonwealth? Not under Britain, no. Not under Britain. Not under Britain. Go back with Britain uh, into the Commonwealth with Jim Ahern as Taoiseach. There you are. I'm only joking. Off. Thanks, Jim. I, Thank I, you very I'm much. Thanks, cheers, bye-bye. Uh, let's uh, go to line two and to Jerry Baltimore, who's the Fine Gael uh, councillor in Cahirlac of the Shannon. Some interesting topics there, Jerry. Let's go back yeah, in the Commonwealth, huh? <laughs> no, I think we might get that escape. <laughs> <laughs> we're very much, we're very much heart of the European Union, and I think it's important that we remain at at the heart of the European Union. And I don't necessarily subscribe to the last point about being part of the Commonwealth, even though our relationships with the United Kingdom and with, uh, have been very good and you mentioned about Brexit Brexit was a strain but as you know I was in in, in, Stormont, or in, in Westminster for the state opening of Parliament the first office holder from the Oireachtas to go there and the Queen has visited Ireland or presidents have gone over um, I hope King Charles will come back to Cork he was here as Prince Charles and, and we just need to see the stability of the relationship and we, we have benefited from membership of the European Union since 1973 so I hope we stay at the heart of the European Union uh, well, let's fix the fishing, and uh, we might there might be a brighter future mm. for our seafaring community. Anyway, that's a different story. Uh, I've got an article in front uh, mm. of me, Jerry. The streetlights on sections of Cork's busiest road have been turned off permanently in a bid to reduce energy use. Now, Transport Infrastructure Ireland has confirmed that the recent switching off of the lights at night time at several locations along the N40, the South Ring Road, between the Jack Lynch Tunnel and Junction 3 west of Ballancolig, is part of a countrywide project in response to ambitious targets set out in an EU energy efficiency directive. Let's turn off the lights and make the roads safer. That doesn't make sense, does it? No, Micken, since that article was published and since I raised it at the Joint Policing Committee meeting on Monday, and, and thank you to Owen English and to you for covering us, the TII, as late as last night, have been taking up the polls. So uh, last night, as you were driving from, from Ballancolic to Bishopstown or vice versa, the, there were roadworks on the N40 where they were taking up the polls. So therefore, they're now permanently deciding that there's going to be on that stretch of road no public lighting no lighting whatever and and I think that's a huge error I know it's been an ongoing policy of TII in parts of the country but I just think that in 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 all cases it doesn't make sense in my opinion and and TII have challenged this, that they're saying that it, the data doesn't support that it's leading to an increase in accidents or compromising road safety. I believe it does. I think it really compromises road safety, especially on a, on a very inclement or wet or dirty night or with a sleet falling, as you know. Uh, and I would challenge engineers who are far more eminently qualified than I am, but to drive that, drive that road from the tunnel, because in fact, if you start at the tunnel, Mick, and go to the end of, 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 of the N40 where it almost reaches the Ovens Bar, there is now no street, lightly, street lighting in effect. There are a number of lanterns around the exits that are open and on. There are a number of high, um, very high, I haven't got the right term now, lighting around Douglas Court and around that Rochestown area. But in effect, there will be no lights from the tunnel to the, to the Ovens Bar in the N40. But surely, Jerry Bottomer, these are high efficiency, low 
energy consumption halogens or LEDs, shall we say. Halogens wouldn't be low energy. LEDs would be. Uh, I'm, I'm just taking it, just on a sample of one. Coming down from Dublin, I hit a piece of metal on the road. It turned out to be a broken spring off a truck and it completely decimated the tyre. I was lucky to keep control of the car. And I was very lucky that I was near a junction which was lit. Um, because on the side of the road in pitch darkness with traffic screaming by at 120 kilometres an hour, you wouldn't feel very safe now while you're waiting for assistance. No, and, and you add, and, I, and, I, and so that's why I raised the matter, Mick, because I had a number of people were on to me, including a number of hauliers and, 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 and residents in the Bishop and Bannon College area complaining that the, the street lighting was gone. And then add to it, Mick, on, on the N40, and, and again, as you come over the ramp, from heading from Wilton to Bishopstown Court, that is prone to ponding in parts, and you could have aquaplaning on that part of the road yep. um, on, on a number of occasions. And people have had have had accidents there in in part because of the issues of water lodging uh, on the road. So I, I'm genuinely concerned that we're, we're short sighted here in terms of road safety. I, I fully thought that we could, in a modern world, committed to meeting our climate change targets reducing our, our carbon footprint in terms of our public lighting in this case that we could find a way with solar or or with different types of bulbs or lanterns where you could with, with the with the wind and 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 with the uh the sun create you know an opportunity to have you know lighting that would be in keeping with our requirements but i i just don't understand why this has happened i raised at the jpc on 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 monday that the joint policing committee on garda shikana have said that they don't think they were consulted the city manager or the chief executive didn't seem to um, have had any awareness of it. Now, I accept it's a TIA responsibility, it's not Cork City Council, but you'd imagine that there would have been a public awareness campaign in terms of inviting submissions around this. Um, but I'm just worried that it would cause it would cause a huge um, compromise on the safety. And, and to be fair, if you look at like the road, it's a very busy road. Um, when I first made reference, I, I actually said it to Owen English at the Irish Examiner first, and, and to be fair, Owen is from that area, he's seen it as well, and, and he understands as you do. This is about road safety. And in, the, in an era, and, sorry, in a year where we've seen an increase, unfortunately, of fatalities on our roads, and at the meeting last um, Monday, the, the figures for car accidents and, 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 and RTAs uh, around Cork has increased, I just think this is a short-sighted step by the TAI. I, I don't understand why they couldn't, you know, moderate some, even take one and three lanterns, if you know what I mean, rather than having everyone light lit. Uh, and, and I thought a bit like you, that we live in a world now where we can adapt and we can be more flexible in how we uh, use public lighting, that this would be one. But last night, coming back from Dublin, I travelled the road um, and there were there was roadworks and they were taking up the poles on the N40. So it looks like a permanent... By the way, when I said I was waiting after a burst tyre for assistance, uh, Jerry, it's not that I can't change a tyre. It's that the car <laughs> the car I drive doesn't have a spare tyre, which, which I, I think should be made illegal as well. Uh, but that's a different topic. Now, I haven't even got to the main reason I wanted to talk to you, so I'm wondering, would you be available very quickly after the 11 o'clock news so that we can... Uh, uh, address what's happening with the uh, the second toll increase uh, on some of our primary 
motorways. Would you be available for a couple of minutes to discuss uh, that? Absolutely, Mick. Okay. Absolutely, yeah, come, back to, come back to you after 11 okay. o'clock news. Thanks, Jerry. Cork's biggest conversation is here. The Neil Brenderville Show is on Cork's Red FM. News at 11 is on the way, but first of all, we want to give away a couple of Christmas trees. Fenton Reardon's Tree Farm is the most environmentally friendly in Cork with the stats to prove it. Sustainable and organic approach to Christmas trees. And you can pick your own Christmas tree from one of their two locations, even if you don't win one from us. Centre Park Road and Currabeg in ovens with a tree to suit everyone, ranging from 2 feet to 30 feet. We'll take two textures now. Texture 9 and texture 10, please, on 086 106 to win that Christmas tree of your choice from the brilliant Finton Reardon Christmas trees. And we thank Finton for his generosity. Now, always happy to uh, support a business that has been closed uh, throughout the uh, the floods and since the floods. And such is the case with Ramen in Middleton. Dave Dwyer has been on to me to say that after extensive reworking and an extended closure period, that the Ramen restaurant in Middleton is now opening again and fully functional and refurbished. So the very best to everyone at Ramen in Middleton. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. Oh, 818 104 106 Cork's Red FM. And at uh, 10 past 11, Jerry Buttermer rejoins us, Fine Gael Senator, Senator, and Cahirlach of the Shannon. Um, we've had uh, quite a number of texts on the safety implications of turning off the lights, but we've kind of covered that one. I wanted to get on to you, um, Jerry, about the tolls and the fact that we've had two very quick succession toll increases. How is the second one allowed to go through? Well, I think, Mick, the, the, the issue is is that we have a number of the toll roads are under a public-private partnership arrangement, but the important point is that it's, it's going to cause an increase in the cost in particular to all of us, but to hauliers, to those who do business, um, and it's going to force, in my opinion, a, a rethink by... by, by everybody in terms of how they use the, the the motorways especially if you take for us in cork if you're if you're living in Fomoy or or or, or close to Fomoy, do you go through Fomoy and and skip the toll of Morgas hill and go back the old road or if you're in dublin in terms of the port tunnel road ones tir thing is going to yield 240 million in revenue for them that's fine and, and we all accept that you know you have to have maintenance and roads and you have to have an element of, of upkeep and, and safety but then when you see that kind of money being yielded to TII and you see what they're doing in terms of the, the N40 or other roads in taking off the public lighting it, it just doesn't make sense um, and, and I just think that I, I, as a former member of the Transport Committee and I, I suppose as the character of the channel I can't necessarily comment on, on government policy but as, as, as a, an ordinary citizen and as a, a road user um, the 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 import of this decision is that it will cost the hard pressed motorists more, and and I accept that you know we we were trying to move people away from the car onto public transport, but but quite often it's not feasible or tenable for people in many parts of the country, uh, especially in rural areas, not to be able to go on on motorways or on roads where you have tolls, for example, in Limerick City, in Cork you know, in Dublin as an example. So we need to just be cognizant of the fact that we're putting a charge again, an increase of around between 70 and 90 euro on people who use roads like with tolls regularly. It's not just the uh, hard-pressed motorist who's pressed enough, shall we say. It's every consumer of every item that has to have that item transported to a shelf. 
Yeah, and that's why, as a member, when I was a member of the Transport Committee earlier in the uh, last year, uh, or late last year, we I, I, I actually proposed at the Transport Committee, and, and we lobbied the then Minister for, for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath, and Pascal Dunne, who was then the Finance Minister, to put a stay and moratorium on the increase in the charges. Because it doesn't make sense. You are 100% correct. This has an import on 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 the consumer because the the, the, the the for example just transporting goods products you know groceries are, are in terms of you know your 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 shops your your Aldi your Lidl your Tesco your Marks and Spencers Duns whoever they're all going to be using these big articulated refrigerated lorries in part you know even for example coming out from Dublin last night I spotted a company importing flower fl- flowers and they were driving down the motorway from Dublin you know so that's all as, as an example that's all going to have an knock-on effect and equally other other issues in terms of medical devices or whatever that would be transported as an example I passed a lorry with that last night coming down that has an import and a knock-on effect on the consumer so I just think it's, it's, it's a disappointing decision by TII at this particular time when inflation is coming down they're saying they're basing it on a, a 6.3% inflationary figure now inflation we're told by the CSO is coming it's, it's down it's in the 2% range yeah but so I, I just queried the the, the the calculus that they're using now again uh, you have to accept that there is inflation but it's not to the to scale in my opinion that is being warranted here and I just think it's disappointing by TII but Jerry, when, when, when you're paying road tax and when you're paying punitive amount, I mean, if, if you go to one of the Canary Islands, you can buy a litre of petrol for one thirty, one thirty-five. They don't have a refinery. They're an island nation. We're an island nation with a refinery. And we're paying, you know, the bones of one seventy-five, one eighty for it. And if the government are so concerned about something that's going to impact every voter in the country, why don't they wave the VAT on, on these tolls? They're making money out of it too. I, I, I suppose I can't get into the weeds and that with you because of my position, but I think we are an island nation. There is an issue around the vast that we are paying, and it's about yielding income that has an act that pays for other services and delivery. But look, in this case, Mick, on, on the, the toll roads, it's it's small change for TII. I think they could have absorbed it for another year or two and, and then looked at it again because we are you know, in a situation where motors are paying more for diesel and petrol. And we're graduating in, 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 in huge numbers to electric and to hybrid. Um, and and I, would, I would ask and I would love to have someone from TII on your programme to talk to you and talk to all of us about the provision uh, of the whole issue around why now they're looking at closing off lay-bys and they're for people to, you know, to pull in and take a rest if they wanted to. Um, the provision of electric charging points on the way down the motorway, you know, if you take it, there's, there's only a handful as you drive from Dublin to Corker. And, and my point is that I would like to see TIA, if, the, if, if we are going ahead with this, which it seems we are, that they would invest this in, in improving the facilities for motorists rather than, rather than having the private investor in, in the case of the service station stops, you know, putting in, in place there. Like, for example, TII now have announced that, that some of the motorways, the, the lay-bys will not be, people who are driving will not be allowed to pull in and, and, and take a rest if they were feeling fatigued, which I think is a mistake as well, you know. That's going to cause deaths. Well, it's going to compromise road safety and, and it, the, the logic is that it's, it's for truckers, which is understandable. But if, if you or I or any of your listeners are driving down up, or up or down a motorway and we feel tired and you want to pull in, that means, for example, just as an example, you take Junction 14 and Formoy, Cashel, or wherever you've got to pull off and go into a town or pull off and go into a service station as opposed to some of the lay-bys in the roads, which, which are just literally mm-hmm. off the road. And, and 
any of us who drive regularly will know that if there's a, if there's a period of tiredness coming over you, 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 you literally pull into these stops. Okay. And, and if, you, if, if, if you can talk to me uh, publicly on the air about it because of your position, Jerry Baltimore, you are a member of Fine Gael. Maybe you can use well, I'm your... Actually your... Not, I'm, I'm actually not at the moment. I'm an independent member of the Coherlick edition. So. Because of your Coherlick position, is it? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, so, well, well yeah, maybe but, as you walk the corridors of power, you, you could ask the question, how come the hard-pressed motorist who's already paid income tax USC uh, is using taxed income to pay more tax uh, on on driving the roads, uh, more tax on petrol and diesel, and now is asked to pay more VAT on the tolls. It's it's like death by a thousand taxes, and it seems right. to be non-stop here in Ireland. Well, we have direct and indirect taxation, as you know, and that's part of every economy in the world where people raise revenue from a variety of means, and that's part of what we do here. And there is an excise charge that's paid, and we we do need the money as a country from excise charge and I don't think you'll have any political party make who will get rid of excise duty on, 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 on many items because it, it yields revenue that goes into funding services and provision of, of infrastructure and services for, for, for citizens but you, you make a valid point in terms of the fact that we are as motorists uh, paying an absorbent amount of money and, and this latest charge is, 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 is adding to the difficulty for motorists and I, I think the point you made is well, is, is well made the, the sad part, the unfortunate part about it is that we do need revenue from indirect taxation, whether it's it's in in our shops and our in our alcohol or whatever to raise revenue. And don't even get me started on the vehicle registration tax, Jerry, which is bordering on highly illegal and biased against the Irish citizen. But there we leave it. Thank you very much, Jerry Baltimore, Finnegall Senator, Cahirlick of the Shannon. Thank you. Thanks Thank very you. much. Our Christmas tree winners for today. What a busy program. Our Mary Jane Martin from the Lock and Kieran Bouse from Riverstick. Mary Jane Martin from the Lock and Kieran Bouse from Riverstick and they're heading along to pick up their Finton O'Reardon Christmas tree which is, or Finton Reardon I put the O in there, I beg your pardon Finton uh, this is the most environmentally free uh, friendly tree in Cork Stat- uh, statistics to prove it sustainable and organic approach to Christmas trees and you can pick your own at either of their two locations, Centre Park Road and Currabeg in Ovens with a true a tree to suit everyone ranging from two to 30 feet. And my thanks uh, at the end of our tree giveaway for his generosity to Finton Reardon Christmas trees. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 Red FM. And good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show at 24 minutes past 11. Uh, if you hear a little noise in the background, it's because we've got a band set up, or setting up a uh, very special guest today and are going to play some music for us. We won't play out with them today because we're going to give a special mention at the end to the late, great Shane McGowan. Um, a shout out this is the last day of the Cork Lions uh, online auction Cork businesses have kindly donated vouchers which are being auctioned to support the Cork Lions Christmas food appeal uh, you can check it out on corklionsclub.ie on Shane McGowan all the hypocrisy by the media again only last year ye wanted to ban Fairy Tale of New York because it offended some snowflakes not me baby um, I am completely against censorship in that, in that sense to accommodate Uh, current changes in attitude and because some people are offended. Uh, Whatever about the media, uh, I certainly do not agree with uh, Fairy Tale of New York uh, being sanitised, as it were. Kirsty McCall was a personal friend of mine. Uh, I uh, never met Shane McGowan, but I was on the periphery of the Pogues on a couple of occasions. Went to... um, Oh, where was it? The... We saw them in one of the big Irish clubs in... um, 
Um, I'll think of it in a moment. And I was side stage with her, uh, Kirsty and her husband, Steve, at uh, the trip to Tip, Fela 91, uh, to watch the Pogues up close and personal, but never got to meet Shane McGowan, sadly. Um, but as a mark of respect, we will finish uh, the programme today with a little bit of Shane McGowan. Now, we have uh, Tony on line one. Good morning, Tony. Hello. Okay, you, you, you reckon turning off the lights is a good thing, yeah? Of course, there's, I mean, there's no, there's nobody, nobody living on that road as far as houses on that road, as far as actually on the side of the road. I mean, like, it's burning light for nothing. I mean, you have, what happens when you get to the end of the Ballincollig bypass? You have to turn on your lights. <laughs> yeah, there's, even, I mean, well, like, your lights should be on anyway. Anyway, you know? Your, your lights. I know your, your lights are on anyway, but I mean, all the new cars now, so they're all LEDs, I mean, the new trucks, the parking lights are blind you. Don't mind it, don't mind it, the actual lights themselves. Yeah, John Byrne has a comment on it as well. John, good morning to you. Stay with me there, Tony. Good morning, uh, Mick. I was listening to to Joey, like uh, the government that has the answer to everything and the solution to nothing. So uh, we we couldn't get a toilet built in the city. We couldn't get the the hall that they gave, I don't know how many uh, millions to them. And he wants to uh, rejig all the the motorways and do, do this and do that. What exactly is going on in the country? Is there anybody clued in at all? Is there? The, 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 the Westlink going out has been pitch black for I don't know how long. How anybody has survived if they got a breakdown is beyond me because nobody would see you. Even the other evening when we had uh, torrential rain, there was two inches of water on the road. The spray coming back was colossal. People wouldn't slow down. And lots of them are driving with no lights on, on a, on a black road. Uh, but I think what Tony's trying to say is that most cars now have very modern LED lights. And um, you don't but really you need but the... But you're, but you're thinking what's good if they won't turn them on? If he's in the dark, he, he's got to hit something if he's in the dark with no lights on. I mean, the thing about it there is you have... Listen, everybody carries a high-vis jacket. If you get broken down, if you follow the rules, if you get broken down, you're supposed to stand inside the barrier... I mean, yeah. if you drive in Europe, you'll see the Europeans standing inside the barrier if they're broken down. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, you do, but I saw two cars on the West Link uh, no later than last Wednesday. And both parties were out of the car on the overtaking lane. None of them were wearing vests. No, there was lights on that section of the road, thankfully. But they were out of the car exchanging pleasantries because there was no rescue service there at that stage. And the only barrier that they could go over would be to go into the, the overtaking lane on the other side that would have been t- uh, going west because the dim cars were going to the east. Well, they didn't you have know? any, any vests. Do they have the red triangles? No, there was nothing. They had just they had just hit one another, but both parties were out of the car. So if yeah, they were I mean, to go into the city, they, they would have... Those people, those people uh, are just waiting to be killed because, I mean, you will get somebody that will come along and run into I know, you. I know, I know, I know. Hold on a while. Hold on a while. See, I mean, Hold on a while, look, at any, look at any of the videos and you're up there and you see pile-ups. I mean, yeah. people do not watch what they're doing on the roads here. They're more likely they're either on the phone or they're, they're doing their makeup, or they're doing something stupid all the time. But the thing about it there is, like, you have to be able to control yourself and be responsible for yourself as well. Yeah, but there's ways to stop that. You put them off the road. But that doesn't mean that we should all be driving on dark uh, dual carriageways and whatever. There well, has to be... Like, in in has... fairness, listen, in fairness, no. The, the, the junctions are lit up. 
the junctions are t- you see the junction coming up I mean like when you get to the end of the Ballincolly bypass what happens then I mean you go up the country roads it's the same thing I mean come out the come out Chrome road you're in pitch black yeah. all the way out the road go out the car yeah, but, when you, the but when you get on but when you get on the country roads you adjust your speed the West Link is a, the West Link is like a racetrack yeah, but I mean, it's not. They're it's going not down that mad busy at night time. Say what? It's not that mad busy at night time. I mean, like in, in France now, right? Give you an instance, right? In France, there after nine o'clock in most villages, they turn off all the street lighting. But would, would you not turn off every second or third light, or have two off and one on? I mean, mix them up. It's morbid. But anything about it, you, you don't have to have. You, I mean, have a look at the, the amount of lighting on that there. There's hundreds of lights on that road. As far as they're doubled up, so no sense to it. If we have a major incident, so on the West Link, will they put the lights back up then, do you think? What time do they turn them off at? Well, I've been driving the West Link for the last, I'd say, I, I, I'd say it's, it must have been about six weeks ago that I noticed that there was no lighting on the West Link coming out of Ballon College. What time do they come off? I mean, like, I, I, I know I, I, drove, I drove it for the last, since it opened, I drove it five nights a week, but I was going in at but two o'clock in the morning. They weren't done in the morning and they weren't done in the evening uh, uh, when, it, when it got dark. Guys, I'm sure we'll come back to the safety aspects about what's going on. I must move on and do some Christmas One giveaways. One more question before you go there, just yep. going back to the tolls. You see, anywhere in Europe there, if you go through a toll booth, there's a toilet on the far side of the toll booth that you can pull in and you can use. But we wouldn't do that at all because there'd be no money in that. No, we, we, they're, they're making us go we, into we, it to where you can get fast food and burgers yeah, and things. I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a disgrace yeah. to see people going to the tires on the side of the road in a motorway. The, Fair point. The second, the second city in the country doesn't have a public toilet. That's true, too. Uh, we have no bother giving away money, though. We're very good at it. <laughs> Guys, thanks a million. John Byrne <laughs> and Tony, th- thank you very much indeed. Now it's time to give away our paddy box. And on line four, um, is, is it the Kieran Kramer? There can only be one. Morning, Kieran. Hey, Mick, are you getting on? Imagine having you here. I know, yeah. My God. Uh, <laughs> what uh, is the story? Well, my two, my two, uh, I suppose, my babies, but they're my, they're my oldest two, Jonathan and Laura. They're both in Australia. Jonathan went out just after COVID, February, I think, when COVID hit in um, with his girlfriend, Laura Hennessy. And uh, they've been outside since. And my own, my uh, my second oldest, Laura, my own Laura, she went out um, July of last year. I remember when, the, when they were little kids, Kira. I can't believe that time is passing by so fast. What, what, and it what's, surely does. What, what's Laura doing out there? Laura, Laura's in business. She's working in business and Jonathan's on the building lane outside. Okay, and uh, a paddy box would mean a lot to them, would it? Well, I tell you this now, last year, last year I put a, a box together myself and I sent it off. And it was, I was gone, I'd say, about two days and they came back to me because I put some stuff into it. Wow. I shouldn't have been in this. You know, so, no, this would be fantastic. Some potatoes and stuff like that, absolutely. Oh, there's more than that in there because there's not not only the chocolates but the potatoes. We've got the uh, Barry's tea, Cadbury's dairy milk, purple snacks, Jacobs, Kimberly's, and Macado, Boland's custard cream, loads and loads of sweets, McDonald's curry sauce, Ballymaloo relish, the messages bag, and Tanora uh, as well. But let's uh, say a quick hello, shall we, to a very special guest on the line. Good morning, Laura. Morning. How are you? I'm very good. Hi, Laura. <laughs> Hi, Dad. How are you? How are you doing, love? Great to hear you, girl. Good. 
o'clock. Uh, I've got family in Melbourne. My uh, uncle was a harbour pilot there for 35 years. Uh, so we still have uh, first cousins in Melbourne. Great city, I, I believe, by all accounts, Laura. It is. It's the party city, all right. <laughs> okay. Do, do I have to give out one um, pa- paddy box now or two, Kieran? Well, uh, they can share the they can share the one. Of course, they can. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. All right. Brilliant stuff. Thanks Brilliant. a million, La- La- Laura. Thank you. Just finally, Kieran. I know you've been wheelchair bound since COVID after developing sepsis from a horsefly bite. How unlucky was that? Uh, Laura apparently was very good to you visiting in hospital during that time, uh, as any good daughter would. But it was hard for Jonathan being away during that time. How are you getting on? Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. You know, um, I've been chipping away. Uh, look, there's no muscle working in the backside. The glutes are not working. Yeah. I can actually, with upper strength, walk about 20 or 30 feet with a walker. Um, but I am sitting down 97% of the day. You oh, know what brilliant. I mean? But look, you're still there. And I know I've, I've seen you on Facebook doing a few songs. Uh, the voice is still in fine fettle. Have a great Christmas, Kieran Kramer. And, uh, we'll, and thanks a million. Thanks, we'll, everybody. There. We'll see you soon. I want to get to Tomas Mulcahy, former core curler and close friend of uh, Teddy Mac. Morning, Tomas. Good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm very good. Big day tomorrow. Yeah, look, thankfully the weather has improved a bit. Um, yeah, the last couple of days have been fairly heavy, heavy with the rain. So, look, yeah, everybody's looking forward to it, I suppose, Michael. And I think for Teddy, I'm sure the poor yeah. man himself would have loved to be travelling. Oh, he'd, he'd have thrown a tantrum at knowing this was going on, I'd yeah. say. He would have thrown a tantrum, he would. He would have killed everybody, and including myself and everybody else that's behind us in terms of the organisation side of it, his club. And um, look, I've kind of asked to come in in terms of the media and try and get a bit of profile and stuff of that, right? So, look. How how are tickets going for the two games? And and you you might explain to those who don't know why these teams in particular are playing. Yeah, look, the tickets are, we could be doing better, right? Maybe people will get online now and purchase tickets uh, today and tomorrow. And maybe the weather the last couple of days maybe has kind of changed people's minds. And I know it's December the 9th and there's Christmas parties and there's shopping to be done. But look, it's going to be a great occasion, parking experience. And the reason the two teams are there is, look, Cork played Mead in 1990 in terms of the double side of it in the football and Cork played Galway in 1990, the hard side. Teddy was part of both teams. Um, and to be fair to John Cleary and Pat Ryan, the Cork football and hurling managers, they came on board and said, yeah, we'd like to help out in, in, in an event like this. And then contact was made with Colm O'Rourke in Mead and Teddy would have played against Colm uh, in 1990 on that day. And um, Henry Sheffield, the of hurlers, and they, they delightfully um, decided, yeah, we come to Cork, we, 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 we bring strong teams and uh, we're, we're eagerly looking forward to coming down uh, on the Saturday. So, and then, Michael, in between your games uh, at half time, and you have um, Teddy's son Kean, who's involved with Passage uh, Passage GA. He's bringing he's bringing the young lads up, and they're playing against stars and there's Glamour football. And then, where Teddy went to school, not Monastery, there's a team from not Monastery coming down as well to play in, at half time of the games as well. And brilliant. I know, contrary to people, what people think, uh, the 1990 players will all be in attendance. Um, there's a lunch there for for ourselves, uh, courtesy of Carty as well, which is fantastic. But we will not be tagging out, despite the rumour. They think that to the 1990 <laughs> boys, it's the present day players. Are going you to you, you might give a wave from the field, though, would you? We're, we yeah, we give a wave with an overcoat and stuff like that on us. On us, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but, so, ticket, it, tickets it, available where? 
Tickets are available online on Cartier and um, it, if you can't make it, it's also available on Rebels Online in terms of um, uh, commentary, uh, live action. But what I would like to see is people come down. It's 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 two games. The tribute are, are, are in terms of Teddy are the games because that's what he loved to do. That's what he liked, he liked in terms of his own career when he finished. He went to every yeah. match. What, what, was the, what was the story of the guy? Was he from County Meath or something? He went to a pub on the north side and said, uh, we have a guy in our club and he won an All-Ireland football medal and five years later he won an All-Ireland hurling medal. And the, so we have a fella here in Cork who did that in the same year. Yeah, that was, we We, we kind of we, we kind of made that up to drive it into the Clare boys when they won <laughs> Clare, in 95 and ni- the Clare in 95 and 97 um, because 95, I think, was the first All-Ireland in 100 years. And then 97, they won their second one. And kind of, we were hearing a lot about it, right? And I think somebody had said to Anthony Daly one night, right, you know, all we can hear about from he is the two All-Irelands that you won in 100 years. We have a guy in Cork, he won two in a far <laughs> That's what it was. You know, so, Thanks for cheering yeah, yeah, that up. Totally. Anyway, yeah, yeah, uh, Teddy, yeah. Teddy McCarthy's memory is calling. If you want to respect it, then you could uh, go watch Cork play Meath at 3pm on the football, uh, Galway at 5pm on the hurling. And uh, that's going to be a big day tomorrow. And it's all going, of course, towards uh, erecting a statue in, uh, in Teddy's honour down at SARS. Tomás Mulcahy, Cork GA, thank you very much for coming on this morning. And uh, thanks, Cheers, Appreciate thanks. That. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. I want to mention Dave O'Connor and Suits Distributors as well. They have a special Teddy Mac commemoration shirt. You can get it there at their new uh, uh, store in Blackpool. And some of the proceeds going uh, to the uh, erection of that statue as well. Uh, while I'm on the uh, Christmas thank yous, uh, thanks to Jim Handley and all at Handley's Christmas Store for the wonderful Christmas tree they sent in, and to Tim Mulcahy, no relation, uh, and all at the Chicken Inn for sending each and every one of us in the audience here in Red FM a very, very nice piece of spice beef. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now, 086-8104-106. Red FM. Morning from the Neil Prendival Show. We're joined in studio by a band from East Cork called Strafe. What part of East Cork are you? Ballycotton, Middleton? Um, Formoy and Castle Martyr. Is Formoy North Cork though? I think it's North Cork, yeah. <laughs> or they're, they're kind of All in right. between. <laughs> Welcome to No No. Hi, No No. How are you? Very good. Uh, Ross in the middle. Hi there. And Angelo Hello. On, on the keyboards. Now, you guys, um, you've just released your self titled album earlier this year. You played the Crane Lane on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, did you have any idea who was going to be playing it last night? Uh, we might have had the, the secret gig. Oh yeah, it was um, the band from Dublin. Yeah, yeah picture this. Picture yes. this. Yeah. yeah, we got a little bit of inside information on the night, right? We we didn't know it ourselves here. I, I assumed it was going to be someone like Key and the Crow or something. So tell yeah. us how you all got together. Ah uh, well, no, no, no. I've been playing uh, together in bands for God about Long time, about ten years now. <laughs> And we formed this band about two or three years ago. And no, no, knows Angelo because he's his dad. <laughs> oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> Didn't get that connection. Thanks yeah. for explaining yeah. that one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, we're, we're hoping to have time to squeeze in two songs, but we're going to start off with Glance. Now, this one, song of the year on the Instagram page uh, at Cork Playlist, and of yeah. course, you can be, you guys can be found on Spotify and Instagram. So, yeah. uh, give me a little intro and take it away in your own time, Glance. Okay, this is Glance. So. Never have before 
Self, uh, self pen song called Lance. Here's why I often offend people, right? Um, to me, uh, shades of, no, just shades, little, little hints of maybe Snow Patrol, maybe a little Coldplay, maybe Picture House, uh, but most definitely for me, shades of Crowded House. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's just, uh, there's no way that a radio transmitter can, can capture how beautiful that sound here in the, that sounded in the studio here wow. so uh, so well done lads take a deep breath I must do a competition and uh, we'll come back to you in a couple of moments as soon as we play our competition with Michelle Jewellers over 60 years in business in Cork a family run business with bespoke jewellery for all occasions michellejewellers.ie for more details our final 200 euro voucher to give away and on line one is Kim McAvoy uh, and Kim McAvoy is in ovens hi Kim hi Hi, how are you doing? I'm very good. You have an expectant mother looking at you. She knows you're after getting through. So you're not yeah. getting this voucher if you win it, are you? 
No, it doesn't look like it. Okay. No, we have to get through first. Okay, well, your 50 50 chance line four is Austin Lynch and Manan Bridge. Hi, Austin. How are you, Ben? Oh, you've the wife looking over you, have you? I do, big time. <laughs> so neither of our contestants is going to uh, be walking away with the 200 euro voucher, but it's uh, going to go to a good place. Uh, 13 cards, pick a number between 1 and 13, Kim. Uh, eight. And I have the, the lads from Strafe here verifying that I'm not doing anything underhand here. Four, five, six, no, sorry, that's four and five. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And number eight is the seven of diamonds. Okay, so you're about midway in the pack there. Highest one wins, two is lowest, ace is highest. Seven of diamonds. Austin, pick a number between one and 13. The five. Number five. One, two, three, four. Number five. Is the two of diamonds the lowest, Austin? I'm sorry. Not about a bite. Okay, thanks a million, Austin. And uh, we Take care. Happy Christmas. We've been expecting Mum going to get the 200 euro voucher. Maybe you can share it. Uh, Kim McAvoy in ovens, get yourself into Michelle Jewellers with your, your voucher and you'll get all the personal attention you deserve for Christmas. Thanks Thank a million. Thank you so much. Happy Christmas. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Now let's get back to uh, our musical guest today, Strafe from East Cork. Uh, how do you match that? I don't know. You, you played Crane Lane Wednesday. I know you have an upcoming gig which we'd like to, uh, to publicise. That's on Friday the 15th. Uh, so that's uh, this day week, is it? In Sea uh, Church in Ballycotton. I see you and Tuanua playing there as well. Getting some great acts there. So, uh, yeah, it's a fabulous venue. Yeah, what, what have you got for us now? Um, this one is called Glittering Sky. Um, it's one of the first songs that we wrote together. Okay. Yeah. Let's go for it as soon as you're ready.
Absolutely brilliant lads, well done. Straight from East Court. Check them out in Sea Church and Ballycotton this night week. Thank you for coming in. That's an incredible father Thanks and so son much. combination. Thank you very much. No, no, and Angela. That you. piano player is brilliant. And well, well done on the vocals and well done on the guitar. Thanks. Uh, no, no, as well. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. And with the time at about three minutes to 12, I think we should finish with this. Shame to go on and the Pogues on the day that's in it and the broad majestic Shannon. My thanks this week for all the hard work put in by the Neil Prendival Show production team. Kevin Galvin, Seamus Whelan and uh, Clara O'Connor and uh, Neil Prendival returns on Monday morning. I'm back in mid-January uh, so uh, I won't talk to you before Christmas so have a great weekend and a very Merry Christmas and I'd like to leave you with these words and these haunting Illin Pipes. May the wind that blows you from haunted graves never bring you misery. May the angels bright watch you tonight and keep you while you sleep. From Lullaby of London, rest in peace, Shane, Patrick, Lysett, McGowan, the Poet Laureate of the Diaspora. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.